Broken trust can be healed, but it's not just time that's going to heal it. You need clear guidance about what to do and what not to do. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I've developed a free video course called The First Steps to Rebuilding Trust. This course will show you what's needed to begin healing after betrayal. I offer guidance for the betrayed partner as well as the partner who broke the trust. You can access it for free right now by clicking the link in the show notes. We are taking a one-month break from producing new episodes, so we are going to take the next month or so to revisit a few of our most popular episodes. We've got a back catalog of over 150 episodes, including the old Illuminate podcast episodes for all of you longtime listeners. So why are we taking a break for the next several weeks? Well, first of all, we're just trying to practice what we preach, and we're going to take good care of ourselves. We're pretty tired. We've been working really hard on an exciting major upgrade to the podcast, and we cannot wait to share it with you. But we need a few more weeks to get ready for this launch, and we want to do things in balance. Now, we do not want you to miss any of the upcoming announcements. So if you're not already subscribed to my weekly newsletter that I send out via email, then make sure you go to the show notes and click on the link there so you can sign up for it. Every single week, I write a personal message to everyone. I also share my latest relationship column, the latest podcast, and any announcements that are coming up. There's all kinds of great stuff in this weekly newsletter, so make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss a thing. Okay, well, let's jump right in, and I hope you'll enjoy this episode from our archives. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I want to welcome you to my podcast, From Crisis to Connection. Each week on this podcast, my guests and I will give you and your loved ones resources and tools to heal from the crises of infidelity, pornography, abusive behaviors, and betrayal trauma. But we also talk about how to build and maintain healthy connection in your most important relationships. Thanks for listening. I'm so glad you're here. Bringing the darkness of pornography and betrayal trauma and all the related things that go with it into the light is not something just one group of people can do. It shouldn't just be left to the therapists or the religious community. It requires all of us with all of our different backgrounds and gifts and talents and abilities and voices to speak up and to create and to reach out and to help create more awareness about these issues and how they affect our most important relationships, and our society. My guest today on the podcast is Jessica Mockett, and she's one of these unique voices. I met Jessica back in 2012 when she invited me to be in her documentary called The Heart of the Matter. This documentary was really unique, and I had never seen anything like it before. She was able to gather dozens of professionals and individuals who were affected directly by pornography and sexual addiction and betrayal trauma to go on camera and to offer their voices to be able to help others. And so you had people that were telling very personal stories about their struggles and things that would be very embarrassing and and you know, potentially humiliating. But she did such a great job of creating safety and creating a space where people felt comfortable and and trusting enough to talk about these things openly. And Jessica has just done such a wonderful job in producing and directing this documentary. And also, she more recently has started a nonprofit called Safe Haven Holistic Recovery, which is to help girls and women heal from trauma, specifically sexual trauma, and help them discover 
how to be connected to God and live lives of joy and, and health and, and fulfillment. And one great thing about her is that she is just curious and she's motivated and she is just such a sharp thinker. She actually wrote, uh, researched and wrote, I should say, a guide for parents and helpers, loved ones, leaders to help children who have been sexually abused, which is a monumental task. And she had it vetted by a PhD in marriage and family therapy on her board, her nonprofit board, and cleared it all and made sure it was legitimate. And I've seen the guide and it's wonderful. And I'll put a link to it in the description. But she is someone that has a diverse background, lots of experience, and a real passion for helping people heal that have been impacted directly by darkness, especially in the realm of sexual abuse. Now, this topic that we're going to cover today is very sensitive. And I want to warn you that if you feel like this is going to bring up too much for you to please be careful and be wise and be sensitive to your own needs and your own trauma history around issues surrounding sexual abuse. Because even though we talk about pornography, it really does bring it home and make it much more real for anyone who's been sexually abused. Because in most cases, sexual abuse is usually preceded by or involved with some form of pornography. And Jessica and I are going to have a discussion about those connections and what we can do as parents, as loved ones, as concerned citizens to decrease the impact on our most vulnerable population, our children. So I'm going to jump right into my interview with Jessica Mockett. Well, welcome to the Illuminate podcast, Jessica. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. So this is going to be a tough episode to listen to. I just want my listeners to know that that this is definitely not a topic that anybody enjoys talking about, but the children who are impacted by this in their families need us to talk about it, need us to be aware. And I like Brene Brown said once, she said her mother told her, when someone's in great pain, we move in close and we don't look away. And I think that children need us to know this information so we believe them and so that they can be better protected and we can also engage in more preventative efforts. And so it's definitely a tough topic. And I just want to acknowledge that if any of you who are listening right now are victims of sexual abuse or have a loved one who's been a victim of this, and you already understand the problem, and it's something that you're already well aware of, this may not be the episode for you unless you're in a place where you've done some good healing and you feel like you can be in more of an advocacy place. But this is intended for listeners and for others who perhaps want to better understand the connection between pornography and child sexual abuse. And so please be smart, please be gentle with yourself, and uh, we certainly don't want to cause more trauma, more harm to anybody who's already been through something as difficult as this. So Jessica, I do want to ask you before we jump in to some of the points that we wanted to cover today, I think it'd be important for our listeners to understand a little bit more about why you're interested in this topic, how you found yourself advocating and talking about these issues. Could you share a little bit about your backstory for us? Sure. Well, I guess just to have as a preface, I do have my own personal story of childhood sexual abuse. So that definitely has given me empathy um, as I've done my own healing work over the years. But specifically wanting to help other children and help their parents understand how to heal from these traumas in their lives, it sounds a little maybe too spiritual or whatever, but I had a dream. <laughs> so I was finishing just releasing my documentary film, The Heart of the Matter. And I was pondering what's next. And in that process, I actually had a very vivid dream where I 
was on barren land. It was ugly. It was overgrown. I felt overwhelmed. Like, how am I supposed to do this by myself? Somehow in the dream, I knew that I was responsible for this land. And then all of a sudden, I was surrounded by preteen, teenage girls. And there was this love, me for them and them for me. And suddenly, as I looked around, the land was prosperous and beautiful and fruitful. And as it was so exciting and so heartwarming that I started to wake up. And as I woke up, I heard the words, you can help these girls who've been sexually traumatized. And so that was the start for me. I mean, that was years ago. So it's taken me some time to kind of figure out exactly what I'm doing and where I'm going and and how to get it done. Yeah, that's remarkable. And yes, you can absolutely share any spiritual experiences or visions that we have a a very uh, conservative, religious-based audience who care about these issues. And so your stuff absolutely fits in very well with uh, what I know a lot of my listeners think about and care about. And so that's a beautiful story. And yes, doing something like this, what you're doing, and we'll talk more about you know, your safe haven center, but yeah, that's a massive undertaking. So, but we're starting to have these conversations. You're starting to create resources. You're starting to open up these conversations and provide a lot of hope for people. And I, I'm just so grateful that you listened to that and you've taken it and walked forward with it. So let's just jump into this topic. I mean, earlier when we were getting ready to record this today, you said something really important. And I think it's important to lead off with this is that we really shouldn't be calling this child pornography. It really should have a different name. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, I did some spec interviews for a documentary that would address this issue as one of my steps into trying to figure out how to help um, in, in the interview. And I, I am so sorry, I cannot remember this woman's name at the moment, but she was brilliant and very experienced. She was a, a child sexual abuse forensic psychologist. So she had some really amazing insights into these issues. But she was very adamant that we do our best to get rid of the term child pornography and instead replace it with what it really is, which is child sexual abuse images or imagery. So these, there's can be some kind of, I don't want to say warmth, but like acceptance of the word pornography in our culture today. And so making it very distinct that any sexual imagery or video of girls and boys under the age of 18 is sexual abuse imagery. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I I think you're right. I think there's a lot of association with pornography as entertainment or as even consensual. And a lot of the defenders of it talk about it like something that involves choice. But when we're talking about children who cannot consent, both legally and emotionally, I mean, when your brain's not even fully developed until your 20s, even a 17-year-old like developmentally isn't really able to consent or understand the implications of what's going on. Yeah. We have to call it what it is. And I really appreciate that reframe. I think it's important to eliminate the word child pornography and call it child sexual abuse images or imagery. And because it really does make it more real to what it exactly is, because no child is consenting to this. Correct. So, and so we're talking about you know, child sexual abuse images and imagery is something that's recorded that is oftentimes used to, you know, as, you know, if people will consume that. But we're also talking about the reality of child sexual abuse and its connection to pornography, even adult pornography, and how this whole world, all of it, you know, whether the, the child being abused is recorded or not, pornography plays a large part in all of this experience. Obviously, in terms of priming the abuser normalizing this in society. There's just all kinds of 
tie-ins to pornography. Is that what your experience has been? Absolutely. I would say those who are adamant in saying that pornography should be freedom of speech, should be available, should be accessible, it's someone's choice. They're coming from a very selfish place in their lives or wanting to support others' selfishness. Because even when it's adult participation in pornography, it's still about degradation. Right. So it's, it's just a form of severe selfishness. And so it's never, it's never victimless. It's just an argument they like to put out there. And so I've lost my train of thought. What was the exact question again? Well, I think really quickly, I think that, you know, part of what, what I love what you're saying is that the whole, the whole idea of pornography, regardless of the age of the participants, is all based on exploitation. It's all based on degradation and dehumanizing people. Correct. And so it's about yeah. selfish pleasure, self self fulfillment. It's not about love. It's not about respect. It's not about coming together. It's not about any of those good things which are are and should be related with healthy sexuality. Right. Absolutely. And and we do know that in so many cases, in the majority of cases, a lot of these performers, quote unquote, are victims themselves and are just acting yeah. out many of the same patterns and themes of powerlessness and abuse that they've experienced firsthand. And so it's a very yeah. sad cycle, exploitation, using, and, you know, it's, it's not, there's nothing about it that's elevating and, you know, respectful at, at all. So. Right. And those that are using pornography, one of the things I like to bring up as something for them to ponder is, I mean, they, a lot of these people who consume pornography would say that they would never look at pornography of somebody who was forced or look at pornography of somebody underaged or any of those things that they instinctively know are morally incorrect. Right. But how do you know when you're viewing pornography if that girl is 17 or 25? How do you know if she's 14 or 18? How do you know if she's being forced by her pimp to do this or not? You know, you have no understanding of the content that you're looking at, whether those people are of legal age and whether or not they're able to consent or whether or not they've been threatened. And in my experience, once people are down that rabbit hole, they just can't even care about that, and which is part of the problem. When they're far, yeah, when they're far enough in, but certainly early on the foray that they began they would never right that they would do that even if they tried to they wouldn't be able to find it out but but part of the addictive nature of it obviously is that people aren't caring about that unfortunately even to humanize or or care about the impact it has on real people so let's talk about Jessica and all of your work and research and interviews and just the experience that you have with this let's talk about just how pornography fuels abuse especially abuse of children yeah there I had my eyes opened a little bit. I Coming out of doing the film, The Heart of the Matter, I definitely was wanting to present the struggle with pornography addiction from a place of love, a place of compassion, a place of removing shame so that people can get the help that they need. That was absolutely my, my goal and my hope. And so as I moved into this idea of doing a documentary on childhood sexual abuse imagery, one of the sides of the story that I was looking at was I had made a connection with a mother whose 19-year-old son had been sentenced and was in jail for possession of child sexual abuse imagery. You know, her argument was is that he was mentally immature. I mean, he legitimately had some mental development issues. So his his IQ and his personality put him more at like 16, you know. Mm-hmm. So he's a little slow. And so her argument was is he's looking at his peers. 
you know, so it should be, it shouldn't be that big of a deal, but he got five, I think it was five to 10 years and he experienced his own trauma, sexual trauma within prison. And so I was feeling a lot of empathy and sympathy for this, this particular mom and her son, which we should have empathy and sympathy for people going through these kinds of things. No one deserves any kind of sexual trauma, even those who've already perpetrated. So anyways, so I was coming from this place of, you got to help these kind of guys. This is a gateway drug looking at child pornography that, that will then lead to actual hands-on abuse. But then I had a conversation in my research with Michael Burke, who at the time, I don't know if he still has this job or not. At the time, he was the criminal profiler for the U.S. Marshals. And so it was a really interesting conversation with him. And he'd done some studies previous to his current position at the time with the U.S. Marshals. And it was really eye-opening to me. Now, he came from a place of not believing that we could be addicted to our own sexual chemistry. And he also came from a place that you can't be groomed into looking at child sexual abuse imagery. You just already have a natural inclination. So there were some things about his interview that I was like, "Mm, I don't know if that's true or not. But but this particular study that he did was eye-opening to me. And I want to get the numbers correct. So I'm actually going to quickly cite that. So in his study, they were looking at men um, in a, a group of men, I think it was about 187 of them. And they had been sentenced for possession. It was, I'm sorry, it was 155 men. They'd been sentenced for possession of child sexual abuse imagery. And at the time of sentencing, 74% of those men had no documented hands-on abuse, sexual abuse of children, 74% of those 155. So they did this 18th month treatment program where they were doing constant treatment and um, group therapy, et cetera, with these, these men. At the end of the study, they had discovered um, through the process of healing that 85% of those 74% admitted that they had sexually molested a child at least once. And the overall average was 13 and a half children per man. So it really opened my eyes to this idea that when they're caught for the first time with child sexual abuse imagery, that does not mean that that's the gateway. They could very well, according to the study, 85% of those men had already sexually molested a child. So we need to understand that just because it's the first time they've been caught doesn't mean that's where they're at on the, the pathway of abuse. Right. And so as, as far as that, that's an incredible finding, by the way, because you know if there's going to be secrets around anything obviously because of the legal implications, but even just the shame and the taboo nature of what they've done, of course, there's going to be lies around this. So to have 85% of a group that swore that they've never done anything, boy, that is just, that's incredible. Well, it's incredible in both ways. One, that they were doing enough healing work to become honest. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. And two, that for those of us, on, and I know this is going to happen to your listeners, where a wife will discover that her husband has been looking at child sexual abuse imagery and have that same gut thought of, this is just a foray. He hasn't done anything yet. And you need to keep your heart and mind open to the spirit because you want to make sure your own children are safe, any children that your spouse has access to. I mean, I, I hate to create fear and say that you should immediately assume or jump to those conclusions. That's not what I am saying, but that you need to be aware that there's a real possibility that hands-on sexual abuse of a child has already happened. Right. And at a minimum to not just dismiss it as impossible that it could happen. Right. There needs to be an, an acceptance and awareness that if they've crossed those lines, that's not just necessarily, oh, we caught it early. It's something that, you know, like you said, 
quite possibly could already have been happening. And, and it's interesting because I know that there's a lot of minimizing with abusers about what constitutes sexual abuse, right? Correct. Right. Um, it's sexual abuse of a child just to make them watch pornography. Exactly. Or to send messages or to, you know, even do sex talk and things like that. Like there's a lot of ways right. that children can be violated who should be protected by adults because obviously developmentally they can't handle any of this stuff, nor should they. But also, you know, a lot of it is just, I mean, like you said, all of it is just purely selfish on the adult's part to create a high for the adult. So they're using this child for their purposes. And so there's lots of ways to do that without actually physically touching their body. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's something that we need to be aware of too. when we're looking at what, what constitutes a, a trauma, a sexual abuse trauma for a child. And, and all of those things that you were just talking about are absolutely traumas. Right. So this is, I mean, this is the, we're talking about adults abusing children. And, you know, you talk about the Michael Bork study and some of his findings there. But ultimately, you know, you're saying that a lot of children that are sexually abused by adults, the adults will use pornography as part of the abuse grooming. in terms of grooming them. And I mean, one thing that I even had, I don't know if I was talking to you about this or someone else, but oftentimes they'll put the child in somewhat of a double bind. They'll create um, a sense of guilt or a sense of, you know, like, oh, they've seen this yeah. and the kid, the kid it gets introduced to it. And, and now they feel like they've got a secret or they've done something bad and they're going to be in trouble for, and so they kind of create this secret bond with them. And yep. it's just used in lots of really evil ways to trap children into becoming victims. You are correct. Yeah, that's a hard reality. And the thing is, is that pornography, in terms of stopping pornography, I mean, people always ask me this question. I get this all the time, which is, so if somebody's looking at pornography, is it a progressive thing? Are they going to abuse children if they look at it? We know that not everybody who looks at pornography abuses children. But it is so, you know, we don't need to talk about causality like, oh yeah, if you, if you look at porn, you're ultimately going to abuse children. But we do know that in virtually, I don't know, every single or virtually every, most cases of child sexual abuse, pornography is involved in some form, whether it's being used privately by the abuser or with the child, but it's a problem. And it's not this harmless thing that just doesn't affect people. It totally affects people. Right. Pornography use desensitizes the individual over time, like we've already mentioned. And over time, you will find yourself looking at things that you previously would never have believed you would do. It's a downward spiral, essentially. So you're right. Not everyone who looks at pornography is going to go down a dangerous path of looking at child uh, sexual abuse imagery and then deciding they want to do that hands-on. But we know that those that do do that path have, they leave a wake of victims most of the time. Yeah. So their impact is quite large. There's another category of children being sexually abused by other children. And yes. this one is equally painful to talk about if in some ways more because you've got now victims violating victims. Yeah. And uh, can you share some of what you've seen in terms of understanding and I, I know today th this episode is mostly about awareness and we're going to talk about intervention. And so I, I want my listeners to know that this isn't all doom and gloom. Children can heal. People can heal from this. But I do think it's important to keep talking about and understanding some of the dynamics so that you can be more aware and more prepared and protecting and believing your own children when things like this happen. Right. And so child on child sexual abuse, can you tell me more about what you've seen with that? Yeah, the, the studies that are out there, and there aren't currently any U.S. studies. They're mostly being done in the U.K. The U.K. has been a little more savvy in recent years than the U.S. on the impact of pornography on, on the social structure. And there was a particular study that I'm aware of 
where a three-year period, they were seeing a 71% increase on reported child-on-child sexual abuse. And they were correlating that, again, it's hard to do a causational, but they were correlating that with the impact of pornography and how younger and younger children are being exposed and having trauma responses and not knowing what to do with this experience that they've had. And then, you know, they create more victims than themselves because they are a victim being exposed to hardcore or even softcore pornography can have an impact on the development and understanding of sexuality. And so we're seeing this wake of additional victims as, as a child victim then becomes one that hurts those around them just as a way to understand or process the trauma that they've experienced. And I want to go back to something you said, Jessica, that I think is so important, which is even exposing a child to pornography is child sexual abuse. Yeah. And so, so many people in my, over the years as I've talked with people about this issue, defenders of it especially, will say things like, you know, it's a victimless pastime, that there's nobody getting harmed. But I cannot count how many people, men and women, I have talked to over the years who discovered pornography in magazine video form as a child, innocently stumbled upon it because some careless adult had it in their home or had it available. And then, of course, the internet, which, you know, starting in the mid-90s became this massive sexual miseducator for, you know, millions of children. And you have all these children essentially being sexually abused by pornography who then act out, model, and are trying to make sense of what to do with all this new information and these experiences and the sensations in their bodies. And it really does just perpetuate more of this abuse and in person and and showing it to other children in addition to, to doing sex acts and things like that. And so I mostly say this because I don't want anyone who's listening to this to ever in their mind believe for one second that if you're looking at pornography, you can somehow contain it. It's not only becoming available to other people, to children, but it also makes the users of it more desensitized and numb and careless in how they deal with it. And so it just basically opens this Pandora's box that exposes children, innocent children and other victims to a world that they absolutely have no idea how to regulate. I mean, most adults have no idea how to regulate this. Right. Well, and one of the things that that I would also say too, is um, if this is happening in your world, if you've discovered that one of your older children is sexually abusing the younger to obviously you love all of your children, but to have some patience or empathy to understand how and why this came about, because that older child very well could have been sexually abused by an adult, could have been sexually traumatized by pornography. And it's not something wrong or broken within them other than they've had a trauma. And so- and they don't have the tools to know how to cope with that trauma. Absolutely. And I appreciate that because sometimes it's, you know, the, when a parent discovers their child looking at it or there's been some abuse or things like that, there, there can be denial, there can be blame, there can be panic. But like you said, recognize that there's probably a lot more going on with it and we have to ask better questions. Jessica, what's the prevalence of child sexual abuse, you know, apart from I guess I'm probably the, they probably have more uh, statistics around contact type offenses, right? Versus exposure to pornography. So, but in right. general, but in general, what what's understood in terms of how prevalent child sexual abuse is? Well, the common understanding out there is that one in four girls and one in six boys, so an, an average of one in five children, are sexually abused or traumatized before the age of eighteen. Now, there's a gamut of what that might mean, mm-hmm. but all of it constitutes what we would define as a trauma. 
So that's a huge percentage of the population that experiences something like that. And I, I actually believe, and this is anecdotal belief or correlative belief, that we're seeing an increase of that trauma because these are what, when we're talking about sexual abuse, we're talking about somebody actually grooming or hands-on abusing a child. But I, like you already mentioned, children being exposed to pornography alone is a, is sexual abuse. We're abusing them. We're prematurely exposing them to content they can't understand or process. And so there's a lot more, if you want to use the word victims in that sense, than one in four or one in six. Yeah, absolutely. And then as far as those, if you don't mind my going on, as, as far as those who perpetrate, what I, I did a study in 2016, a, re, a survey, really, not a study, a survey in 2016, and that's not a scientific survey because I did it myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. So, Go ahead and share what you got. Uh, yeah. But I was actually overwhelmed by their response. I had over almost 900 women take the survey, and they were all individual responses because I tracked IP addresses. Anyways, so of of these women, and they were majority LDS women, it was a higher percentage that experienced a childhood sexual trauma. There was a 38% rate. Now that could likely be because some people who shared the survey specifically asked for people who've been sexually traumatized to take the survey, which was not my intention. I wanted anybody to take it. So, so it could be skewed for, for that reason. Sure. But something that I found interesting of those who did have a, a childhood sexual trauma, 60% of those were from other children or peers. So you know, kind of had this assumption that those that are hurting the children the most are adults, when the reality is it's other children that are inflicting the majority of sexual trauma to other children. Yeah, absolutely. So that was an interesting fact for me to be able to see that. And that's proven true in other studies that I've looked at. And, and that is like we've already discussed on the rise because of the accessibility of pornography. One of the reasons I wanted to do this episode with you is because I want people to understand how pervasive this can become because I, I think that there's a tendency sometimes because so many of our young people, boys and girls, are, are exposed to pornography, looking at pornography or coming to their parents or their church leaders and saying, hey, I've looked at pornography. A lot of the times we think about it as it being sort of just self-contained. You know, right. they feel bad, they did it, you know, and then it just stops with them there. But I do think it's important to treat it as if they've been exposed to a toxic substance and to recognize that this can spread and that they absolutely need to have more conversations and more understanding about how they view their own bodies, how they view other people's bodies, curiosity, even acting out and trying to make sense of the things that they've seen and experienced that are way developmentally over their heads. And yeah. again, even just completely abusive and harmful because even for Adults who are in healthy consensual sexual relationships, much of what's portrayed in pornography has no place in these kinds of sexual connections. And so there's just so much that, the, that our children are seeing and being exposed to that it's so important to not just stop at, well, are you looking at it anymore? Have you stopped? And talking about it more from a place of this person's been traumatized. Let's treat them like an abuse survivor and help them, you know, basically debrief them and help them come out of what they've experienced and seen. And I, I just think Absolutely. that that will do a lot to help prevent this from spreading to other children, especially. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so in the manual that we, or the guidebook that we recently produced, one of the things I really want to help parents understand when they're, when they're dealing with a child that has a pornography addiction or compulsion or masturbation addiction or compulsion is that while they did technically choose or may have chosen to look at those imageries, 
to begin with or to try masturbation to be, you know, on their own. I want parents to understand that, yeah, it might have been their own free will and choice that started them on the path, but that they have experienced trauma. And it's a multifaceted trauma right. with um, pornography. It's, I mean, there's trauma to the spirit in seeing the violence and the degradation in pornography. There's trauma to the physical brain from the addiction to the chemicals in the brain, right? There's emotional trauma with understanding your worth and your value after viewing that kind of content or feeling like you're an object or that your only power is in your sexuality. So there's a lot of trauma that needs to be looked at well beyond I've gone a couple of times to see the bishop. That's just not sufficient recovery from someone who's been exposed to that kind of content. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and and let's, I know we need to wrap this up here and I want to segue into what we're going to do in the next, the next interview I'm going to have with you, which is going to be about what to do with this. And I, I hope if you're still with us listeners that you recognize that we have to be able to talk about the problem so that we can obviously understand what to do about it. And it's not helpful to our children for us to be uninformed about this. As you know, as the scripture says, we have to be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. And the things that we have to look at and see, and Jessica, you're a great example of this, you know, you've definitely moved in and not looked away and not only confronting pornography on a general level with your Heart of the Matter documentary, but also your willingness to respond to this call to protect children and help them heal. So I hope that as, as you've listened to this and we've all joined in this conversation together, that we can help heal and extend support to children who have been and, and unfortunately will be abused. And let's talk about resources for a minute before we wrap up here. How can people get this guide or get information that you're describing here? Right. So um, we recently produced a guidebook. It's, it's 100 plus pages. Um, we have a, a printed version of it and a digital version. And that it's called Your Holistic Guide for Helping Your Child Heal from Sexual Abuse and Trauma. And that can be found on our safehavenholisticrecovery.org website. There's a couple of options there for either donating to receive copies or for just purchasing a copy outright, either the digital or the hard copy. It's a really great resource. Not only do we give you a lot of information on recovering and different aspects of looking at different types of things to consider in recovering from trauma and abuse, but we also talk about prevention, we do some education on stats and, and signs and things to look out for. And we also offer some hope and we talk about holistic lifestyle and how that contributes to recovery and healing long-term. And then the back of the book has a ton of resources where we've cited that you can find additional educational information. There's so many people out there trying to do their part in helping to understand these issues. Yeah, that's fabulous. And to my listeners, while you're waiting for my next interview with her to come out, go to her website, go to the Safe Haven website. I'm going to put a link in the show notes so that you can access this guide. You can do a digital download immediately and start looking at this. If you're feeling anxious or overwhelmed by some of the things we're talking about today, recognize that there are answers, there are solutions, and it's not enough just to be informed of the problem, but you can actually do things about it. And again, your understanding and awareness of not only what's happening, but how to help will be a gift to a child or many children. And uh, I just thank you, Jessica, for taking time to not only put all these resources together and respond to the call, but also to spend some time with us today. Absolutely. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate you addressing these issues. 
Thank you so much for listening. Make sure to tune in next week where we will have another interview for you from our 150 plus episode archives. We look forward to being back with you with new episodes very soon. In the meantime, make sure to subscribe to our weekly newsletter so you can stay updated on any upcoming announcements. So go ahead and click on that link in the show notes so you can subscribe to the weekly newsletter. We want to stay in touch with you, keep you connected, and let you know all the great things that are happening over here. Thanks so much every single week for listening. We love having you here and we look forward to connecting with you in the next episode. Thank you.